The pre-med path can be super confusing. If you'd love some help on your path or on your applications, use the promo code PMY for pre-med years, PMY over at medicalschoolhq.net and get some help from some of our experts, former directors of admissions, admissions officers, other experts. We have a small team ready to help you today. Again, that's promo code PMY to get a discount on our services at medicalschoolhq.net. Did you know that the MCAT podcast is put on by the medical school headquarters and Next Step Test Prep? Did you know that's not the only thing that we've done together? We have also written the pre-med playbook guide to the MCAT. Now, this book is for a student starting out, just starting out on their pre-med journey, trying to figure out all the pieces of the puzzle. This is not a test prep book to help you get a higher score on the MCAT, although there is some of that stuff in there. This is a book for you to buy as soon as you realize that there's this thing out there called the MCAT, and it's coming out very, very soon, if not already by the time you are listening to this. Go to MCATbook.com and either sign up to be notified when it comes out or find out how to buy it if it is already out. This is the pre-med year, session number 282. Hello and welcome to the three-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Today, I have a great episode for you, I hope is a great episode, one that you helped create. Now, I put out a question on Facebook, on the Facebook Hangout, which if you're not part of, you need to be. We're closing in on 5,000 members in our Hangout group. Go to medicalschoolhq.net slash group. So I put out a question on there, or I put out a prompt that said, hey, for the pre-med years, I want to answer your questions. Jump on the phone with me and ask a question. We'll talk about it and answer it. This is something that I do every day almost, when I have coaching calls with students. They ask questions, I give them answers, we bounce thoughts and ideas and and everything back and forth, and I help them on their journey. So hopefully this will be helpful for you. I think I got a good variety of questions to answer for you today. And if you have questions that you think spending a little time with me would help you go to medicalschoolhq.net, click on our services and look at the pre-med advising tab there. So let's go ahead and dive in. I didn't do any sort of introduction to any of the students. We just broke in right to the questions and I gave the answer. So you're gonna hear a bunch of questions uh, with the answers and then another question coming right after that. And I'll talk to you at the end. My question is uh, about the procedure of applying to medical school when you have foreign credentials such as foreign degree. What would you do? Uh, what would be your first steps? And how would you choose schools to apply to? All right. So I'm going to go with the last one first. Actually, you know what? I'm going to, to kind of do a broad, a broad answer that doesn't really answer your questions directly. The, okay. If you have a foreign degree, my assumption is that you um, are an international student right? That's, that's the general assumption. And so the first question that I need to ask is, are you a permanent resident, a citizen, or are you just here on a, a student visa? 
I'm a citizen. Okay. So that is a huge factor in applying to medical school. If you are not a permanent permanent resident or a citizen, right, if you don't have a green card or you're not a citizen, then applying to medical school is, is very, very, very hard. And you can go on the MSAR and, and look up information about medical schools who accept international students. But when you actually look at the data, most schools don't accept international students. So that's, that's the first kind of thing out of the way. So as a citizen with a foreign degree, then the question comes, have you done your prereqs here in the U.S.? Because that's a huge um, factor for most medical schools. Yes, all right, so we, we've got over two hurdles, right? You're, you're a permanent res- resident slash citizen, um, and you've done your prereqs here. Now, if you look at a lot of medical schools, a lot of medical schools will have this 90-hour rule where they want 90 credit hours of classes taken here at a U.S. Um, school, whether that's a four-year university or community college. Have you read about that 90-hour rule? I've read about that, and some schools want 30, some schools just want the prereqs, some schools want 60, and some schools want 90. And also, there's this trend where some schools want specifically some amount of hours in a four-year university and some amount of hours in community college. Yep. I think that's a really good thing to discuss, too. Yeah. So, I think you hit the nail on the head, is that every medical school is different which is the most frustrating part about this process for me trying to help students and for you as the student trying to figure out what to do. And so you've, you've taken your prereqs here. You have your international degree. Did your international credits transfer over to a U.S. institution or did you just take the prereqs and didn't worry about a, a degree uh, I transferred it to a community college, and they're reflected on my transcript as just some amount of transfer units, but also because it was the community college that did it, uh, only the lower division units transferred there. So some of it is still like untransferred and not reflected in the actual transcript. Okay. So when you apply to medical school, because you had credits transferred, you're going to need to put all of those classes that were transferred into mm-hmm. AMCAS and into ACOMIS. If they were just transferred for credit and not for any sort of grades, then you just mark them as pass-fail. The The biggest take-home really is read the instruction manual for each of the application services you are using. Every time I talk to a student who has an international degree and is wondering if they need to request their transcripts or not and what they put in AMCAS or what they don't, I always go to the instruction manual. And it's changed recently in regards to international transcripts. At least I think it has because I just looked at it a couple days ago and it's different than I remember it. Previously, you needed to request the transcript if you had credits transferred to a university or or a school here, an institution here. That has now changed. You don't need to request the transcript anymore. But if the credit's transferred, then you need to get the grades, uh, get the classes listed on AMCAS. And so... There are a lot of hoops that you have to jump through as an international graduate of an undergrad institution, right? You have your bachelor's degree from another country. Right. Right. But the the two things you have going for you is is your citizen and or resident, right? And you've done your prereqs here and hopefully have done well. 
Yes. <laughs> with with those things, you're ready to apply to medical school. Again, read the instruction manual, see what you need to do with your foreign transcripts and the foreign classes and the ones that transferred, the ones that didn't transfer. And so your last question was all about what schools to apply to, right? And I am the last person you should, any student should ask about picking schools to apply to because my personal take is apply to the schools that you want to go to. The, the fact that you have done some amount of homework and said, hey, some schools want 30 hours, some want 60, some want blah, 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 right? You've done a little bit of that homework. Every medical school, go to the MSAR, contact the schools that you may be interested in applying to, talk to them about your situation and say, here's who I am, here's what I've done. Is there anything else I'm missing before I apply to your school? And see what they have to say. If, if you're good, then apply because you are considered, for all intents and purposes, a... A, a normal student, just like any other student who's graduated from university here. You're missing a uh, hundred or so credits or whatever it is, right? Because you don't have a full degree from a U.S. institution, but that doesn't matter. That's a great answer. <laughs> and, I think it covers everything. Yeah. Is there is there any other follow-up to that? Any other questions you have uh, pertaining to just that? Just one. Uh, I know your position about, uh, you know, community college credits and... Yep. Basically, all of my credits are from a community college. My GPA is good. I have a 4.0, but Great. Um, how do you think in my situation as having, you know, already having, uh, you know, a degree from a foreign country is, not, I don't want to say disadvantage, but it's something different. And if you add to, you know, if you add the community college coursework to that, do you think it's a disadvantage or no? Some schools may have a negative bias towards you. Uh-huh. but I think you're fine. With a 4.0 GPA, you've proven yourself, community college or not, you're you're fine. You you are going to be up there with everybody else. Obviously, you need to do well in the MCAT and write a good personal statement, put uh, your extracurriculars together well and tell your story well, but you should be good. Well, thank you so much. How do you think your time in the Air Force influenced you as a physician? And how do you think you'd be different if you hadn't done the HPSP? So that's hard to answer because I've only really been a physician in the Air Force, right? I I went through HPSP Mm -hmm. um, at a civilian hospital. I wasn't in the military uh, really actively. I didn't go to the, the military medical school. And I did a civilian internship. So that was really the only time I practiced medicine outside of the military. I don't think, looking back at my time as an Air Force flight surgeon, I, th- I think you are a physician, period. Your employer just happens to be the U.S. government and the Air Force, right? And so I, I don't know how much being in the Air Force influenced me as a physician. I I think really being a physician influenced me a ton as an Air Force person. Uh, I think as a medical core person, um, an officer in the Air Force as a medical personnel, I think that changes anybody's outlook on the military. And so if, if, a student is prior military and then is thinking of going back to be a military physician, I think their time is going to be completely different because as a physician, it's just you're, you're treated differently. Everything is different for you. Um, so that's, that's a hard one to answer. And then 
the follow-up question about how do you think it'd be different if I hadn't done HPSPL? I'd, I'd be in a lot more debt. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> um, it's interesting. I, I don't know what would be different. Um, I may be, I, I may not be talking to you right now because I, I think I would have gone on to do an orthopedic surgery residency, right? The doing HPSP limited me with my residency choices because you need to apply to the military match before um, and while you're applying to the normal civilian match and the military results come out before the civilian results and the, the military dictates whether or not you can move forward with a match or whether you do match in the specialty that you want. And so they told me no to orthopedics and that's when I started my, my flight um, surgeon career, my aerospace medicine career. So it, it may be different in the fact that I, I wouldn't be here. Medical school headquarters wouldn't be here. The podcast wouldn't be here. I'd, I'd be cutting people open day in and day out as an orthopedic surgeon. Um, <laughs> do, do I regret my choice? Not at all. I, I love what I'm doing now. Um, it's made me who I am. Uh, I've had amazing experiences. I've flown all around the world and the back of different military aircraft. I've flown an F-16. Um, I have some great memories from, from wearing my uniform. Well, great. Thank you. Any follow-up questions to that? Yes. Let's do um, it. Awesome. So why did you choose Air Force as opposed to, say, Navy or uh, Army? You know what? It, I, I think looking back, I had a very naive outlook on it all. I didn't have any kind of direct family members in the military, so I didn't know anything. Um, so I was I was very ignorant to it all. And I assumed that, oh, the, the Air Force, they just they fly over the places and then they go home at night, right? And so <laughs> it's not the Army where they're kind of in the battle and, and doing things on the ground and Navy is on a boat all day long. Um, and so I, I think that's the kind of naive outlook I had on it. And that's why I chose the air force. And then once I'm in the air force, it's like, oh, we run the military hospitals that are in Iraq and Afghanistan and everywhere else. And we're, we're down there. Uh, we deploy with army people. We're on the ground doing our thing with everybody else. So it was a very, uh, ignorant outlook, uh, but it, worked out in the end because air force is without a doubt the best brands to choose <laughs> my, my boyfriend's in the air force and so he's pushing that on me too it's uh it is a a nice bet so <laughs> the the question would be for you why would you join the air force for hpsp versus not Oh, that's I'm kind of struggling with that right now. Um, I'm actually I think I think you want to get into something like pain management or along those lines. Um, so if that were the case, I'm thinking it might be more advantageous for me to do the army or something with a lot. It's a lot bigger, has a lot more you know residency spots. So I wouldn't get told to know you can't be an orthopedic surgeon or anything like that. Well, there's always that chance. There, there There's is always, always that chance. <laughs> and it's it's interesting. Something as specialized as pain management, right? There's a couple of different ways into it through anesthesia, yes. through radiology, through PM&R. Hmm. There, are, there are issues 
and I, I quote, air quote the word issues with going into such a subspecialty in the military because usually the subspecialties are few and far between. Mm-hmm. And so it makes it that much harder to be able to do that. And mm-hmm. so if you are on this side of it as a pre-med thinking, I am really interested in pain management, number one, I would caution you to to pigeonhole yourself so soon Oh, because yeah. 75% of students change their mind once they're in medical school anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and number two, I would I would say if you are really thinking about that, then I would caution against doing an HPSP scholarship because of what happened to me, right? I went yeah. in knowing I wanted to be an orthopod. I went through knowing I wanted to be an orthopod. I had a little bit of a hiccup going through OBGYN where I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Uh, but I applied ortho. Um, and the Air Force was like, yeah, no, no, you're, you're not going to be an orthopod. <laughs> um, and, and so it, it depends on how flexible you are. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you are flexible enough and resilient enough and you, and they say, no, you can't go into, um, well, Air Force doesn't have PM&R, so you couldn't do PM&R. Um, you can't go into anesthesia. You can't go into radiology. Uh, then would you do a flight medicine tour, do your four years, get out, and then apply to a residency to, to then go and do your pain medicine stuff? Kind of, Gosh. yeah, have have your career as as an Air Force doc and be a flight doc and, and live that life, which is an amazing, awesome career, uh, and then go on. So it delays your specialty training, mm-hmm. uh, but you come out debt-free. yeah. It's big plus there. Yeah. But well, thank, don't, thank you so much. Don't do it just for the money, right? You want to yeah. do it. And obviously having your boyfriend who's in the military, you, you have exposure to it. So that helps. Mm-hmm. So lots to think about. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much. I am just wondering for those of us who are already in the healthcare field, what can count as shadowing experience? Like, is there stipulations to it, um, or does it never count as shadowing experience and only clinical? So, shadowing is very, very, very specific, and I get this question a lot from from PAs, from nurses, from anybody else who, as you said, as when you're in the healthcare field already. Is it shadowing? And the answer is no. Shadowing is very specific. Shadowing is outside of your job. You're not working outside of your expertise. You are going to a physician's place of business outside of your role as a nurse, a PA, whatever it is, and you are observing and watching and learning. Now, the question always comes back, well, I, I'm seeing what the doctor's doing. Why do I need to do separate shadowing, right? I'm in my job. I'm watching. I'm interacting. I, I can see everything that the physician's doing. And while that is true probably 75 80% of the time, there's so much more that a physician does outside of that clinical interaction that you have with him or her that shadowing allows you to see that extra 15 or 20 percent whatever it may be the phone calls with the insurance companies the grand rounds where the physician is presenting or learning or whatever it may be and so shadowing is something that even though you are in healthcare already it's something that you need to do above and beyond what you are doing already 
Okay, well, that makes sense. Thank you so much. From from a clinical experience standpoint, mm-hmm. usually being a nurse, clinical experience, you have that covered, right? You don't yeah. need to go and get more clinical experience um, because you're interacting with patients all day, every day. So usually you're fine with that. Okay. Well, that makes sense. That paints a clearer picture. I was just confused on why I needed more, but that makes sense. I'm doing my job and not really paying attention to theirs. Mm-hmm. But exactly. thank you so much. You're welcome. Any follow-up questions to that? No, I think that's it. All righty. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Bye. How do you make it work when you're in a relationship with someone who's not a pre-med? Um, how do you convince them that the journey is going to be worthwhile? Um, and how can you best prepare them for what's ahead with medical school, residency, and fellowship? So I did a podcast episode about this back, episode 251, How to Protect Your Relationships as a Pre-Med and a Med Student. So I would listen to that with your significant other together, listen to that with him or her, and and let them hear from a spouse of a physician and how they made it work. And, and if you don't remember that podcast episode, that was with Sarah... And she is a marriage and family therapist. And so she comes at it from this kind of psychology standpoint of communication and and all these other tools that she's learned as a therapist. And really what it comes down to is, is communication. And that was the kind of the heart of the episode. But the question is, what do you communicate? Like, How do you communicate? That's what you're asking. Like, how do I prepare them? I want to communicate, but how do I prepare them? I, I want to attack the first part of your question. How do I convince them that it's worth it? And I would I would hope that you don't have to convince a significant other if it's worth it. A significant other should be there by your side if you think it's worth it. You shouldn't have to convince them that it's worth it. So that's just something that popped into my mind as you were you're asking that question. So I'll, I'll leave that one aside because that's kind of a bigger relationship <laughs> issue and not necessarily a pre-med question. But the, the question, the other question about how do I prepare them for what's to come? And really, what medical school, what internship, what residency is all about is your significant other supporting you probably more than they ever thought they would need to in the hardest times, most busiest times in your life. That's really what it's all about, is just being there unconditionally for you and understanding that you're busy and that it's not all about them and you will try to make it about them when you can in between tests and and those weekends when you come off of a test and you have a couple days before you have to start studying for the next one or when you're in internship and you're on night float and you sleep all day long and you're at work all all night long. But it's really just about supporting you and being there for you and making sure they understand that that's that's their role and that's what you need them to do. But I I would go back and listen with your significant other, listen to episode 251 with Sarah, all about how to protect your relationship. Okay. Questions? No. That's that's good. I, yeah, I tried to get him to listen to your podcast um, with her on it, and he did. 
<laughs> but I, I think it got through. But yeah, it's been really helpful, and you've been really helpful. So I'm yeah. grateful for that. So I'll I'll throw out because I don't sugarcoat things. I will throw it out there that, and anecdotally from when I went through medical school way back in the day. Uh, a lot of relationships going into medical school did not survive medical school. Yeah. It's a it's a very very hard time, and it's yeah. it's hard when somebody either doesn't want to support somebody going through it or doesn't think it's worth it. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe they don't want you to be a physician because they know physicians are busy, right? That kind of the stereotypical female role in a in a household. Um, maybe they don't want you to be working so much. Uh, I don't know what the intentions are behind maybe some lack of support, uh, but there are a lot of reasons for relationships not to survive medical school. Um, yeah, I if- just I'm just concerned because, you know, I when I first got together with my boyfriend, he was like, "Oh, when you become a doctor, I'll just be a stay at home dad and I'll support <laughs> you." Yeah. and now he's like, "I want a career," you know, and mm. so he's a videographer at a news station and. He's starting to get more involved with that, and he's away all weekend, you know. And I just worry that, like, one day he'll just want to be with someone who's arrived as opposed to someone who's still going, you know, and still on that journey. And so it just kind of terrifies me a little bit. But I know that, you know, if he's, you know, meant to be in my life and meant to be that supporter, then then he will be. And if not, then okay, you know, so... Yeah, over 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 communicate as much as you can and and keep having those heart to heart discussions about what each of you want and if it leads to different paths so be it um what is the most common mistake when writing secondary essays besides sending them sending them in late sending them in late would be the most common but if you're gonna take that one away from me it's not pre-writing them, which kind of goes hand in hand with sending them in late. Secondary essays are probably one of the easier parts of the application process because you are answering a specific question, right? The, the school will ask you, how are you going to add to the diversity of the class? If you haven't gone through undergrad in one fell swoop if you've missed any time why did you miss time if you're planning on taking a break before you start med school what are you planning on doing very simple things like that and answering those questions is much easier than answering the personal statement prompt of why do you want to be a doctor right and much easier than cramming 700 characters into your AMCAS uh, or 600 characters into your Comus descriptions. So I think the, the biggest mistake really is not pre-writing them. And when you work yourself backwards for why that happens, it's because most students are taking way too long to write their personal statement, to write their extracurriculars, to submit their applications, they're taking their MCAT late. And so all of that stuff is happening at the same time. And as soon as they submit their application, usually it's going to be students who are a little bit later in the cycle. They will immediately get back secondary uh, essay or secondary applications from medical schools. Once you passed, once you're past the first wave of applications that go out, then medical schools see as soon as you submit prior to being verified, as soon as you submit 
medical schools will see that you've applied to their school, and most of them will send you a secondary within a day or two. So you're turning around, submitting your application, wanting to put your feet up, and then you start getting back 10, 20, 30 secondary applications, and then you're just, you're way behind at that point. So I think that's the most common. Okay, so you're saying um, pre-writing them is a benefit, is a, is a beneficial thing to do. Pre-writing, in my mind, is a must. Okay, awesome. Any follow-up questions to that? Um, I, I guess then in terms of the writing um, parts, do you have any suggestions in regards to that? Such as, oh, um, you know, telling a story is, is a good is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Or do you have any suggestions? Yeah, always, to always, always, always storytelling. Right. That's that's the power of written word is through stories. The power of spoken word is through stories. So as as much as you can answer the questions with a story, do it. It's hard when they're asking very specific questions. But you, you, if you've gone through the process through writing your personal statement, through writing your extracurriculars, through storytelling, writing secondaries with stories becomes much easier. So a question like, how are you going to add to the diversity of our school? Tell a story about a time where either you were part of the diversity in a situation, maybe you're an immigrant, maybe um, you're the minority um, or you tell the story of how you, as the majority, helped the minority and, and helped in that situation, helped to increase diversity, uh, maybe in a pre-med club, maybe in whatever organization, in undergrad, whatever it may be. Tell those stories. So it doesn't always have to be related to uh, medicine? Never. Doesn't doesn't ever have to be related to medicine. And And actually, I think stories are more powerful when they're not related to medicine, because then I can see it as you just trying to show me who you are instead of you trying to force down my throat that you're going to be this amazing physician because look at all of these experiences you've had in healthcare. Awesome. I think, that, yeah, that answers all my questions. All right. So there you go. Lots of great questions and hopefully some even better answers to help you on your journey to medical school. As I mentioned earlier, if you have questions and you think you want to spend about 45 minutes with me on a call, go to medicalschoolhq.net, click on the Our Services tab, and click on Pre-Med Advising. In that call, we can talk about anything. We can talk about your essays, your interviews. Um, I do have special interview prep packages aside from that, um, but really anything that you want to talk about, we can chat about in those, uh, in those 45 minutes. So... I hope this was helpful for you. I have some more great episodes coming up soon to chat, uh, to, to talk with students, talk with uh, deans of admissions, and so much more. Hope you have a great week. I'll see you next time here on the Pre-Med Years.